Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Not in Los Angeles, but instead in Burr Ridge, Illinois. I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, keeping it dad to the bone, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, guys? Fighting the, fighting the turkey coma. Uh, had, to, uh, had to slap myself a few times, splash some cold water in my face and uh, but yeah, man, ate a lot of good food today and uh, thankful for a lot of different things. So uh, thankful for this show and thankful for the chance to uh, connect and talk college football with you boys. So let's, uh, let's, let's, let's get it on. All right, indeed. Um, but finally, we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, who's actually not in the second city right now, but instead in Iowa City, Iowa, a man who is absolutely unstoppable as Captain Falcon on Super Smash Brothers, a <laughs> blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yep, made the trip uh, back home for Thanksgiving, obviously, and get a little football tomorrow with the Heroes game, Nebraska and Iowa. I'm sure we'll be touching on that a little bit later in the show, but let's get to it. All right, all right. Well, um, uh, this actually just crossed the wire before we started recording, so um, I guess we will start actually with the news that looks like Tom Herman is going to be the new uh, head man at LSU. Um, So this has got to irk the people in Austin uh, quite a bit who have still worth a waffling on hiring Charlie Strong. But, uh, Coach, I'm interested to, to see how you feel about this hire. Man, I love it for LSU. Um, I think they've got a, a immediate upgrade. I think recruiting wise, he's still in that Texas area, um, and he's still got, uh, you know, he's in Louisiana too, and he can uh, he can truly lock down that state, which is actually a pretty good state if you look at it as a whole. Um, you know, recruiting wise, they don't have any competition with their in-state schools because, you know, uh, whoever doesn't go to LSU, uh, the scraps are going to be going to the to the directional universities. Um, in uh, in Louisiana, so he's going to get the best out of that state. He's going to get the best out of East Texas, uh, the Dallas area. I mean, he's got ties up in the Midwest with, with when he was at, from when he was at Ohio State. So I I think it's a great landing spot for him. I think it's a better situation. Uh, the cupboard's not so bare. It's not such a mess with the administration there at LSU. I think they got everything in order there. So I think he's walking into a good situation. Um, so I, I think uh, it sets up better for him uh, job-wise to uh, to step in at LSU. I mean, you have all that talent there that, that they've built up. You have, you know, you have some guys on staff that, you know, you might be able to retain. Like Dave Miranda has done a, done a tremendous job with the defense uh, this year. Uh, they've, they've maximized their talent. And, uh, you know, you, you have a chance to uh, to keep a few guys and keep a few things intact. So, I mean, I think it's a great situation. It's definitely not a done deal yet, um, but, you know, all signs are going to LSU. But Texas is not going to go down without a fight. But if I'm Tom Herman and I, and I, have, the, and I have the choice and the money's not, not too much of a difference, like if, if, if it's a difference in a million dollars, I'm going to LSU, you know. 
if, now, if Texas comes through and offers him ten million a year, then obviously you, you can't turn that down. But uh, you know, I think he's walking into a phenomenal situation. Josh, you feel the same way? Oh, I think Coach hit the nail on the head with everything he said. But from the Texas perspective, man, you know they they hang on to Charlie Strong for the TCU game. Say they're, they're going to evaluate things at the end of the season, and their their coach that they wanted appears to be snatched up. It's like the kid making this super elaborate promposal, and in the meantime, another kid just walks up to the girl, asks her to the dance. You have to feel bad if you're a Texas fan. Yeah, I know. I, I think I think the Texas administration has been handling the situation so poorly um, over the last, you know, six months at least. That you know, they deserve, truthfully. Yeah, I, I, you're, you're literally taking the word right out of my mouth, there, Coach. Um, so, well, you know, kudos to LSU. Uh, just uh, quick, uh, who do you think is going to be next in line there at Houston? Josh, you got any ideas? Well. They've had such a good success with this staff. I think they should really evaluate the people they have on the bench, um, which is taking a page out of the Boise State model, which has worked very, very well. Um, outside of that, um, you know, we've seen some offensive minds at North Texas and SMU and Coach Latrell, Seth Latrell and uh, Coach Morris. I think those are two guys that might fit in very, very nicely at Houston. Um we all know Houston's a great job, but I think they would have a really hard time getting past a coordinator at a Power 5 school. I, I don't think they're there where they can call up a coach at a mid-range Power 5 school and get them. I mean, their, their current OC is Major Applewhite. He's a Texas guy to begin with. I don't think he'd be that bad of a choice. Coach, you have any ideas of who they should go for? I mean, I think they should look hard at Major Applewhite. Also, uh, Lincoln Riley. Uh, I know Josh said Power Five school coordinator is not not a bat not, or not an option at all. But I think well, I think that's their best. I, I think that's their. I mean, that's how they got um, Tom Herman. I think a Power Five head coach, like you know, someone that's struggling at a Power Five school or kind of middling at a Power Five school, I think that's yeah. too far of a reach. I mean, I, I think you. I think you take a look at Ed Orgeron, maybe. You know, uh, I think I think he'd be a good head coach somewhere, somewhere like that. You know, not a, a a group of five school, and I think that's kind of where he fits in um, as a head coach. So I think you kind of think of him. Houston, Houston, and LSU are trading coaches with a player to be named determined later. <laughs> yeah, and cash considerations. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think you you know obviously I said Lincoln Riley. I think you look at Lincoln Riley. I think you look at uh, Jeff Scott at. Uh, from North Carolina, uh, Fedora's right-hand man as offensive coordinator. Um, I think you look at uh, DJ, no, not DJ Durkin, I'm sorry. Uh, I think you look at some of these other defensive coordinators like uh, Brent, Venables. Brent Venables, maybe a Mel Tucker, uh, who, who's, who's been a defensive coordinator in the NFL before. And, you know, he might be looking to get out and get a head coaching job there. You look at, you know, you give a shot at Bud, Bud Foster. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily think you'd get him, but because uh, I think he's one of those lifelong coordinator types. But uh, then you know, take a look at Charlie Strong. Uh, he's going to be available. Uh, and he could look to bounce back. He would do He would do tremendous at a school like Houston. I mean, he's, re- he's recruited Texas decently enough that where he can still survive at a school like that. Um, but I'm not ruling out power five uh, for Charlie Strong just yet either. Uh, I still think he's a good enough coach to, to succeed at a power five school. 
just not Texas. Well, I, you know, I, I like that Charlie Strong. I like that Charlie Strong idea too. Um, Mel Tucker, if, they can, if they can get him, I think that'd be a tremendous hire. Mel Tucker, any of you guys brought up, I think that's a that's a really really great choice. Um, he'd be someone I would take a very long look at. So, you know, PJ Fleck has got to fit in here somewhere. I don't I don't know that PJ Fleck is going to leave Western Michigan for another Group of Five school. But yeah, I don't feel like he's the he's the right kind of culture guy there too i I feel like what what he's built there rowing his boat up there um, in kalamazoo you know he's i don't i don't feel like moving to houston is you know for him the kind of thing that he would be thinking about doing yeah i mean take a look at arkansas state's offensive coordinator i think he'd be a good fit there at houston interesting interesting well um that is uh you know that's definitely going to be a a a very desirable job uh for you know who's ever able to get it but um before we hop into some of the of the games this weekend we actually want to uh veer down to the fcs the bracket has been released um for the fcs playoffs and um you know it's interesting one of the one of the things that i you know first noticed glancing at the bracket is the way the seedings are done do not follow the current rankings uh number one undefeated sam houston state is actually the fifth seeded team in the bracket five-time reigning national champion North dakota state's number one um, but uh, I just, I guess I wanted to get some of your guys' um, thoughts here on the bracket and, you know, outside of North Dakota State, who is the favorite here? Um, who do you guys think has a real shot of going, going the whole way? So I guess I'll start with you, Josh. Well, I'm looking at the teams that have to play the first round because obviously the top eight get a bye. Um, New Hampshire's in the Colonial. That's a very tough conference, so they're a battle-tested team. Uh, Youngstown, we know, with uh, Coach Polini have a nice staff going there, but I kind of like this Wofford team. Um, if you're looking for a dark horse, they, they play Citadel next, a team that they only lost by a field goal to in the regular season. So they certainly would be confident playing in that game. But um, I, I think the champion is probably going to come from the top eight. That's usually what happens. That's why they give the best teams by. And so I kind of put them in order. And I think the team with the worst chance out of this group is South Dakota State. Um, they have to play in the next round um, after their bye. They would have to play in Fargo again. I know they won there in the earlier season, but they lost to Cal Poly, their playoff team. They lost to Illinois State, their playoff team. Winning twice in the Fargo Dome doesn't seem to be a recipe for success. Then I got Citadel, and that's just more of a reflection on the Southern Conference. They uh, they had a nice season, but the, the Southern is not – as good as the Missouri Valley or the Colonial, which I think are the two best conferences in the ranking. Then I have Sam Houston for much of the same reason. They went undefeated, but the Southland just quite, not quite up to snuff as some of the other conferences. Then I got the North Dakota Fighting Hawks. They had a really nice season out there in the big sky. They tied with Eastern Washington at 8-0, but they beat Cal Poly, who I said is a tournament team. So uh, some nice things going on there in North Dakota. And then I got Jacksonville State last year's runner-up. Uh, they battled LSU in the earlier season. That's their only loss as they won the Ohio Valley. Uh, they're certainly tested. Like I said, they made it all the way to the title game a year ago. Um, a team that I really like is this James Madison team. I think they have a bracket that is favorable to them. They put up 28 points on North Carolina. They beat Villanova, they beat Richmond, they beat New Hampshire to win the Colonial. The Colonial put four teams into the tournament, and they swept the other three. That's pretty impressive. They're also coming on 
strong at the end of the year. They blew out Nova and Elon in their last two. So I think they're riding the hot streak. And then at Eastern Washington team, I think they have the best shot outside of North Dakota State. They played in the packed Big Sky, which is kind of forgotten. We always think about the Colonial and the Missouri Valley, but the Big Sky is right there. Um, They produced that North Dakota team that I really like. And then this Eastern team uh, beat pesky Northern Iowa. They beat Cal Poly. Um, They gave North Dakota State a battle in overtime. And let's not forget Eastern Washington. They beat that Wazoo team that we love. They also beat Montana, who I know was six and five this year. But the Grizz are never an easy team to get by. No, Coach, you got any thoughts here on the bracket? Well, I mean, Josh laid it out so perfectly there. Um, I pretty much agree with everything he just said. Uh, you know, as a dark horse, you always like that Wofford. Uh, you always like the Wofford Terriers. They're, they're a team that overachieves, and they play above their heads all the time. So, And they're an option attack team, and, and they're not, you know, traditional – uh, flexbone option, although they can get into that a little bit. Uh, they, they do a lot of theirs from a pistol two-back or gun two-back, and uh, they, they do a lot of damage there. And they have uh, quite uh, more extensive of a passing game than, say, your Citadel or your Georgia Techs or your Navies of the world will. And so it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be fun to kind of watch them navigate through this playoff bracket. Of course, your, your runners-up from last year, Jacksonville State, you know, they're always tough, and they're tough each year, every year. They, anytime they play an FBS opponent, they always give them fits and all they can handle. Uh, North Dakota State, you know, they've won it about 18 times in a row now, so, you know, you know they're poised to, to make another run, uh, see what they can do without Carson Wentz. That'll be an interesting uh, storyline there as we as we navigate through this uh south dakota state you know of course you know trying to win in the fargo dome twice as josh said it's never an easy task you know just trying to win anywhere uh twice in the same season is no easy task uh, unless you're alabama uh the citadel i mean we've been talking about them all year long they are a uh they're a heavy option team so you know they're you know they're going to give people trouble um uh, but, uh, you know, you got to look at, you know, all these, you know, you got to look at the Colonial Athletic Conference and you got to kind of look at what they had. They were kind of the SEC of, of FCS this year. So, uh, you know, you got to like what, what you see there. And you got to, you got to think that your national champion, um, is going to dethrone, that's going to dethrone North Dakota State's got to come from this conference. You at least got to think they have the best shot. If they don't, I like, uh, Wofford is one of my dark horses. I like, uh, Jacksonville State is a dark horse. Um, you know, they're you know as much of a dark horse as you can be as the uh, national runner up a year ago. Um, so, you know, it's going to be an interesting run. We'll we'll kind of we'll kind of see how this bracket unfolds. Yeah, um, you know, I, I feel like if Cal Poly had a different draw, if they weren't getting North Dakota State in the second round, that's a team I would like to go pretty deep and make it make a pretty pretty good run. I feel like they'll be able to get by San Diego in the first round and uh, give North Dakota State a, a good game, but um, I don't think that they quite have uh, the horses with their their rushing attack to get by the really stout defense that Bison have. Um, you know, if you're looking at other uh, dark horses, I think uh, Villanova is someone you've got to keep an eye on. Um, you know, they, they've had a pretty impressive season uh, all around. Uh, they're currently ranked 11th in the country, but they've had a couple of really good wins this season. Um, and uh, their losses have been, you know, like on the road at Richmond, another another team in the bracket, things like that. So, um, 
Yeah, you know, uh, spiders. Uh, spiders are tough. They're coming off of a rough loss uh, at William and Mary in their last game of the season, but um, I think they'll be uh, North Carolina. Uh, sorry, NCA and T uh, in the first round and give North Dakota a good game. They're the kind of team that should make, um, you know, that, that could make sort of that um, elite eight, if you will, of the bracket, um, but. I, I, I see the title game as North Dakota State, Eastern Washington, and I and, and you know Eastern Washington. We know they've got uh, Cooper Cup and that you know high the high flying aerial attack. And if we can get a, a title game of North Dakota State, Eastern Washington, it's going to be um, sort of two very different styles of football, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It'd be even more fun if it was on uh, the red turf up there um, at Eastern Washington at home for them. But um, as we all know, the title game will be played uh, down in Texas, which, um, you know, either way, it's definitely going to be great. And I think that's going to be some really high quality football played out there in the FCS. So uh, we will definitely here on Legal Motion be keeping you guys tuned into what is happening in the FCS bracket. But uh, we just want to do a little preview of that before we hop into Final week of the regular season here for most of the conferences in FBS. So uh, let's move ahead then and just talk about some of the big group of five games that we've got going on this weekend. Um, you know, our, our biggest ones, uh, you know, we're looking Houston at Memphis uh, in a big American West showdown, Navy at SMU. Um, big game in the MAC this weekend is uh, Toledo at Western Michigan, and um, you know, Josh, I know you're uh, you're looking forward to that one a lot. Louisiana Tech will be facing off against the Mustard Buzzards of Southern Miss. Uh, Boise State is at Air Force. Our favorite uh, beloved uh, Bobos of Colorado State uh, head down to take on the Aztecs, and uh, Wyoming is at New Mexico in. Uh, a, a matchup of uh, mountain, a surprisingly good Mountain West team. So we have a question, and I'll start with you, Josh. Is what's the most important game in the group of five this weekend? I think it is that Toledo-Western Michigan game because, uh, as we know, the highest-ranked group of five conference champion, which is kind of a mouthful, but they get to go to one of those prestigious bowl games, and Western Michigan is the highest-ranked, but... If they lose this game, they won't be able to win their conference. And then that opens up a can of worms. That brings um, Boise State potentially back in if Wyoming gets tripped up. It brings Wyoming in if they remain hot. Might even bring San Diego State back in, who just dropped their game to uh, to Wyoming a week ago. Um, it brings in the American Conference. So that'll just unload a lot of dominoes if Western Michigan gets tripped up against that really good Toledo team. Coach? Yeah, I mean, that, that game, obviously, uh, with what's at stake for uh, for Western Michigan is important. Uh, but also you got to look at this Boise State game with Air Force and, you know, for them to stay relevant and them to stay in it, they ha- absolutely have to win this game. And, of course, San Diego State as well. There's a lot of pressure on them. They could be – they could end up um, at the top of this pile uh, by default if Western Michigan were to uh, – trip up against Toledo. So you got to look at that, Donnell Pumphrey and what he, what he does for him, for, for them to get him in a new year's six bowl would be an incredible story and uh, would, would probably boost the ratings and would probably give some, uh, some great positive attention to, uh, to the group of five with him being the rushing champion and, and things like that. It might be a little bit, uh, they might, you know, it might be the spark that, 
that gets some change in here as, as, as far as, you know, how you set up the tournament and, and things like that. Uh, you know, a, a, a discussion we could say for the offseason, obviously, but, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see how it unfolds because this group to five thing is, is nowhere near settled and, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun ride as we, uh, as we wind down that season. Well, and you know, one of the really interesting um, potential storylines that I, I think could happen, uh, if, you know, Navy wins at SMU this weekend, which is no guarantee. Um, SMU has a really, really solid ball club out there headed up by Chad Morris. If, if Navy wins and they get the breaks and then they beat South Florida or Temple, sorry, in the uh, American title game, they could they could be that team um, to get the New Year's Six Bowl invite, but then still have to play Army before the bowl. Um, yeah. Which would bring in a whole another, uh, you know, uh, ball of wax to uh, the situation because they could potentially lose to Army. We all know Army's got talent, um, and you know Army's having a much better season uh, this year. So, uh, you know, obviously, the Army Navy game goes on after all the conference title games. So that would be a a very interesting wrinkle to throw into the mix there. Um, um, obviously, I think that the bowl organizers would lo- would love to see Houston um, be that team that makes a New Year's Six game, but that's obviously not going to happen because they're not even going to make it to the American title game um, without about a million breaks going their way. So, um, but let's keep the let's keep it rolling down to the ACC. Um, we have a, actually a lot of non-conference matchups with uh, mostly SEC schools, but big ones: uh, North Carolina State. Uh, playing at Chapel Hill, uh, their in-state rival, North Carolina. Ramblin' Rack of Georgia Tech heading, heading to Athens to take on UGA. Kentucky is at Louisville um, in a, a matchup uh, for the Commonwealth. Uh, and South Carolina is at Clemson in the uh, Battle of the Palmetto State. And uh, Florida Gators heading to Florida State, um, where it might be tough sledding for the SEC East champs. So, uh, but my game, uh, my game, my question for you guys here, and I'll start with you, Coach, which rivalry game will be more competitive, Florida at Florida State or Georgia Tech at Georgia? I will say, uh, I will say Florida State at Florida, um, just because I think talent-wise, uh, those, are, those are two more equal teams. I think Georgia Tech is struggling, and Georgia Tech struggles in this series as well. Uh, to get anything positive um, with Georgia. The last time they beat Georgia was 2008. Um, It's generally pretty competitive, but a lot of times it's because of ineptitude on both sides of the ball uh, or both sides of the the, – both sidelines or whatever, however I want to say that. Um, But, yeah, the Florida-Florida State one's usually more intense. Um, There's usually a lot more at stake with that rivalry. Um, You know, there's – a lot of times there's national championship implications – uh, tied to that game. So, you know, just whatever, whatever's at stake for that game um, is usually bigger. So it usually results in a more competitive matchup. So, and I expect a lot of the same, even though uh, neither of them have national title um, implications. I think Florida's playing for a spot in the Sugar Bowl. So, um, and I say a spot in the Sugar Bowl because uh, I'm, I'm pretty much just saying they're going to lose to Alabama in the SEC title game. And then, the, uh, you know, the highest ranked SEC team that's not the champion will likely get the Sugar Bowl bid for uh, for the New Year's Six. So that's right now it's looking like Florida. So uh, so you got to take that into consideration as well, what they're playing for, everything that's at stake. Uh, with Georgia, Georgia Tech, they're playing for pride right now, um, just kind of that state supremacy uh, 
which has been dominated by Georgia lately, so I don't think it's going to be as competitive. It's a noon kick as well, so that doesn't that doesn't go well for him either. Uh, Josh, what team do you think is going to be more competitive? Well, since Coach uh, did a good job of taking the game that I was going to say, which doesn't sound too surprising because he's a Georgia fan, um, I actually don't think that the Florida Florida State game is going to be all that it's cracked up to be. I'm very bullish on this Florida State team still. I, I actually have them in my top 10. They've scored 90 points the last two weeks. Uh, they've gotten out of their own way. They're on fire, and I just don't see how that Florida offense has enough in them to go up against this Knowles team that's really clicking. Uh, so I was going to kind of move along in the ACC and talk about the games that I really look forward to. The South Carolina game, I'm very curious how the Gamecocks look. They've, they're improved. They made a bowl game. Curious how they look against a top-end team. Same with Kentucky. But the game I'm actually most curious about is Wake Forest and BC. Uh, BC inexplicably, if they win it, will get their sixth game, sixth win that might keep Adazio around, which is painful to think about for football. But for Wake's perspective, it would be their seventh win and their fourth ACC win. So they'd finish four and four. The last time they had a winning record overall was 2008. The last time they had a non-losing record in the ACC was 2011. So a lot on the line for them to turn things around. This, I know BC is not the best team, but this would be such a monumental win for Dave Clawson as he continues to turn around the Demon Deacons. Yeah, um, I, I'm with you, Josh. I don't think this Florida-Florida State game is going to be very competitive. It's at Dope Campbell and Florida State. Uh, in uh, heard had a great heard a great stat earlier today. Um, in, in in the Florida-Florida State rivalry, um, in the last two games, or sorry, last three games, I believe, Florida has had 38 possessions and has scored twice. Um, and I expect that to continue. That's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, that, that that could be a minor problem for them going forward. I think, you know, I, I still don't think that the Georgia Tech is gonna um, is gonna be able to win at Georgia, but I do think they will keep it closer. I think Florida State's gonna win by three touchdowns here. Um, I, I really don't. Um, I really don't see them. Uh, you know. Uh, Gators hanging around at all. Um, on the flip side, though, I'm actually curious about this Kentucky at Louisville game. I think Louisville might still be in a bit of a malaise after um, the the loss to Houston, which really sort of knocked off all of their playoff hopes. Kentucky is a sleeper, guys. I mean, the, the, the rushing attack they bring uh, with Snell and Boom Williams is, is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to give Todd Grantham and the, and the Louisville defense a lot of fits. So it's going to be you know that's going to be a key point for for Kentucky. Can they can they dominate the run game? Can they can they pound the ball on the ground? It's going to be a key to that game, and and I think it's going to be interesting to watch. That's probably one of the that's probably one of my favorite SEC uh, um, ACC rival rivalries uh, outside of obviously Georgia Georgia Tech, and you know I also kind of grew up around the Florida Florida State rivalry. So um, you know with my dad going to Florida State and also. Um, I think that'll be, uh, you know, I think that'll be an intriguing matchup to watch because Kentucky's much improved. Usually that game is, usually that game is just, yeah, you know, 
Louisville's just going to take care of business. It doesn't matter how bad Louisville is. They're always going to beat Kentucky, you know, that type of deal. And Kentucky fans have just been reserved to, okay, we'll get them on the basketball court. And, uh, you know, it's not like that this year. Kentucky's a legitimate team. So, oh, yeah. I mean, they, 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 you know, they, they've been recruiting some better talent up there in recent years, and I think that they – I really believe that they could pull off the stunner here um, in Louisville, especially because, you know, this Louisville team really doesn't have a whole lot to play for at this point outside of pride. So, um, well, let's move down to the Big 12, which does not have a lot of great matchups this weekend, let's face it. Um, it is a – uh, you know, when your best game is TCU at Baylor or Bay- sorry, TCU at Texas or Baylor at Texas Tech, you know something is not going right. We have to wait another week for Bedlam um, and the Baylor West Virginia game. So, um, my, uh, my my question is not about anything on the field right now at all. But uh, I'll start with you, Josh. Who do you want to see as a Longhorns new coach? Hmm. Well, their offense has turned around. And they have some nice offensive weapons. Their defense let them down this year, but they can't hire another defensive coach because I think the fans would go howling mad. So I think they need to look for an offensive coach. And we know Texas likes to spend a lot of money. We know Texas likes to, you know, go big. And I'm very, very curious if – Chip Kelly was a flash in the pan at Oregon. He's probably going to get fired from the Niners, or at least he should. And I really want to see if his system works a second time around. So I'm not saying that's the best fit for Texas, but you asked who do I want to see. Being a fan of football, I want to see Chip Kelly's offense back in college at a really good school. That would be fun. Coach, how about you? I don't think that'd be fun. I think it'd be. Uh, I think. Chip, I think Chip Kelly'd be back more where he belongs. I think he's, you know, as much as he thinks he's an NFL coach, and he's had a little bit of success in the NFL. But he's. I think he's more of a college guy, uh, and I'd like to see him uh, back in a, in a big time role and just to kind of see what he could do. And so I think Texas would be that good fit. Also, I think you know you got to think way outside the box. Um, and, I, you know, one guy I think of, um, if I'm going to look at an outside-the-box candidate, uh, somebody that would be, uh, you know, definitely out of the box and definitely just kind of out of the ordinary for a school like Texas. I think, you know, Jeff Brom over at Western Kentucky, I mean, dude puts up monster numbers. Um, he's going to get a big-time job somewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, if they, uh, you know, he could be a dark horse candidate, at Texas, I think, you know, if you're looking for a good offensive guy. Also, Larry Fedora, um, I think he's kind of, you know, he's, his reputation starting to grow a little bit. And, you know, he could get his shot um, as well. So, uh, also look at Chad Morris, you know. What, what do you guys think of Chad Morris? I think he's done a hell of a job at SMU. He's an offensive guy. He, he had uh, Clemson as an offensive juggernaut um, and uh, recruited Deshaun Watson and uh, had that offense going. So um, I think he's a dark horse candidate as well. I think he'd be a great fit at the University of Texas and, and uh, wouldn't mind seeing him get a shot. So you know, those are some guys I, I like. Uh, you know, I'd be, yeah, I'd be intrigued by, I'd be intrigued by Chip Kelly going there, but you know, there's a lot of good options out there. They just, Texas just got to kind of uh, 
open their mind a little bit and and uh, not get so bent on, uh, well, we didn't get Nick Saban, so we had to sell for Charlie Strong mentality. Well, we didn't get this guy, so we had to sell for this guy and not give that guy a chance. That never works. You know, I've, I've, I've absolutely lived through that um, personally. You know, I was, you know, there was a year where, you know, I was just kind of that, you know, well, we didn't really want you, but I guess we settled for you because we had to um, type mentality. And even though it wasn't football related, it was teaching related, but that's a big part of a high school coach's job. So, um, you know, in, you know, the larger part of my day, I was in that same situation that Charlie Strong is in. You know, nobody wanted me around, and they treated me like crap and never gave me a chance, never supported me. So um, I was in that same situation, so I know how it feels. And so if Texas wants somebody successful and somebody that's going to stay there long term, and I guarantee you, uh, Tom Herman, uh, he is at Texas right now, or he's going to LSU right now because of the way they've handled Charlie Strong. And I don't blame him one bit at all. So, uh and until uh, Baylor gets some new administration, they're gonna they're not gonna hire anybody worth the crap either. So, uh, you know, they got to get some stuff in order for them on their on their end too. Yeah, you know, I I, I kind of like the name of uh, Chad Morris, their coach. I, I don't think he's had quite enough success at SMU yet for them to, um, you know, for him to to be the, the Texas man. Although, interesting thing about SMU in uh, Chad Morris's uh, two recruiting classes that he's had at SMU as uh, the head man, all of their recruits in both classes were from Texas high schools. So, if they really want to, you know, wrap up that state and stop losing, you know, some of those top recruits to AM, Baylor, schools like that. You know, Chad Morris has proven that he's, you know, he can definitely recruit Texas, you know, and obviously he was um, head coach at, you know, at Lake Travis in Texas for two years, which is one of those uh, traditional powers um, in, in Texas. So um, he definitely knows the, the high school circuit there. He, he could definitely recruit with the best of them. So I think that would be an interesting choice, but I don't think he's quite had enough time as a head man um, at SMU and had enough success. He's only 7-16 and 16 there. So, um, I mean, I know he came into a, a pretty pretty desperate situation after June Jones was gone, but it's it's still, you know, it's going to be hard, even if they win this weekend against Navy, it's going to be a hard sell on the, um, you know, on the alumni and the donors to that program to to hire a guy who is, who will be at that point be eight and 16 and have a, uh, you know, uh, a 333 winning percentage. I don't think that's quite going to get the job done. Um, You're probably right. But I, I think if they're, again, if they're just thinking outside the box and they, and they, they might have to get a little creative with this hire because uh, they may have screwed themselves completely out of uh, making a decent hire. So, yeah, this is very true. This is very true. Well, um, actually, before we went on, I just wanted to say one thing about the pretty weak uh, Big Twelve schedule. If you're looking for a reason to watch any of these games, watch the Iowa State game. We don't know West Virginia's headspace after getting their bubble burst by Oklahoma. West uh, Iowa State has a chance to beat their first ranked opponent since 2012, and they have a chance for their first three-game conference winning streak since 2011. It's sometimes hard to find the silver lining in a three or a four and eight season, but if Iowa State pulled that win off, that would be one hell of a silver lining for uh, Matt Campbell's squad. Yeah, that, that that definitely would be. Um, you know, I and you know, I, it's definitely not out of the question. 
for that to happen this weekend. Um, but let's head to the Big Ten, where obviously there's one massive, massive game. Uh, number three, Michigan at number two, Ohio State. Uh, you know, a couple other good games out there. Josh, the one that you'll be at, Nebraska at Iowa. I'll obviously have my eyes tuned to the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe uh, in Camp Randall when the when the goose come to town to try to snap their um you know, dozen year long losing streak. Uh, Michigan State is at Penn State. Um, so, my question, I'll, I'll start with you, Josh. What does Michigan need to do to pull off the upset at the shoe? Well, what they need to do is really simple. Actually, executing it is not simple, but but the what they need to do is recreate what Penn State did. So when you look at the box score of the Nittany Lions upset win, they held them to a pretty inefficient day passing, 28 of 43, uh, held them to uh, 40 uh, or 168 rushing yards on 40 carries, which, I mean, 168 is, is a pretty big number, but they – didn't let uh, Weber go off on them. He had 71 on 21 carries. A lot of those 168 yards came from Curtis Samuel, who only touched the ball twice, which still doesn't make any sense. Um, and that is what Penn State did. They won the special teams battle. In fact, they dominated the special teams battle. And they just made Ohio State inefficient. If you could make any offense inefficient, you have a chance. Michigan is a hell of a defense if they – pull off the victory over their nemesis, the Buckeyes, it'll be because of their defense not getting into a track race with their backup quarterback, John O'Korn. Coach? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree totally uh, with that. I mean, I think that there's going to be a lot that uh, Michigan's going to have to do. But, you know, I think it's going to have to be, you know, they're going to have to be carried by Jabril Peppers. I think he's going to play a big factor in this game. Um you know, in all three phases of the game, he's going to be one of those. He can't come off the field, and uh, you know he's got to be—he's got to make it tough in the run game, and he's got to—you know—he's got to create the matchup problems that he's been creating all year long. You know, and Michigan now that they've played in a couple of close games and and kind of understand now what it takes to to kind of you know or what it's like to really just focus for all four quarters and have to gut a couple of victories out. I think that they're 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 more. Uh, more apt to uh, to win this game. I think they're more ready to win this game than, than they were, um, you know, two weeks ago even. So, you know, John O'Corn, I think he learned a lot, and, and hopefully that, you know, they can win in the other two phases of the game and just kind of make it miserable on Ohio State so that John O'Corn has time to, uh, you know, not necessarily take over the game. And, you know, hopefully they don't have to lean on him heavily, but, you know, maybe they can just kind of, uh, control the game on the defensive side of the ball and control the field position and special teams and just do enough in those two phases to where your offense can just kind of get going and, and, and you can kind of be patient with it and, and control the clock. And that's kind of, that's going to be kind of what you have to do against Ohio State. You got to control the clock, time of possession, field position, all those major factors. Um, when you have a quarterback that's not your, uh, starter and it wasn't your starter, you know, you have a guy playing so well. With, uh, with Wilton Spade, he goes down with injury. John O'Horn steps in. You know, he's he's very capable of, of playing at a high level. He's just got to, you know, they, they've just got to, you know, they just got to trust him and and, and uh, just let him let him go. So, 
uh, hopefully the Jabril Peppers can kind of help ease that transition. Uh, that'll be kind of the key for, uh, for them. Yeah, if Michigan's going to have a chance this game, they got to keep this one low scoring because you know the more points are scored, the more it's going to favor OSU, who has um, the better the better weapons on offense. Um, uh, Josh, you want to anything you're looking at uh, at the game you're going to this weekend, Nebraska at Iowa? Well, the biggest concern that I think both fan bases have is who's going to be under center for Nebraska. Um, Tommy Armstrong Jr. has had a great season, but a very injury-prone season. He's been in a walking boot at one point this year, had that terrible concussion against Ohio State. Somehow came back a week later, and then the following game got hurt. Uh, Yeah, he came back a week later and hurt his hamstring late in it on their game-winning touchdown. So he missed last week, and Riker Fife played, and um, you know, Iowa plays a very base defense. They're not going to change. But I know the fans are worried because um, Tommy Armstrong Jr. is a really, really athletic quarterback. And during the Kirk Ferentz era, mobile quarterbacks have given our defenses fits. I think as big an arm as Fife has, Iowa fans would much rather go against a more traditional upright quarterback. But uh, Nebraska's kind of playing it close to the chest. I don't even know who's going to take that opening snap tomorrow. Yeah, that's going to be a, uh, you know, obviously it's going to really affect the game plan for, for both sides. Um, it's who's taking snaps under center. Um, as for the the battle for the axe, I think that, uh, you know, Wisconsin, you know, Wisconsin's won this game every single year since 2004. And, you know, they've got to feel pretty good, especially as uh, Minnesota really relies on their rushing attack to get offense generated. And Wisconsin's defense is as good against the run as anyone else in the country. So I, I feel like, you know, Wisconsin fans and the Wisconsin team feels pretty confident going into this one, but you definitely cannot take it for granted. Um, you know, the last time that Minnesota won this game, Mitch Leidner was nine years old. Um, so that's, uh, you know, some, some pretty astounding stuff. Um, but let's head now uh, out to the West Coast uh, for the Pac-12. Um, you know, you know, one of, outside of the game, the other, you know, the other massive, one of the other really big games this weekend is the Apple Cup, which is taking place in Pullman, uh, where Washington takes on Washington State. Um, other good games this weekend, though, uh, Utah at Colorado in what is basically the deciding game uh, for the Pac-12 South. Uh, Notre Dame is at USC, uh, and UCLA is at Cal in a battle of two teams whose season have been uh, really upended by injuries. So, um, my opening question is going to start with you, Josh. And what is the Pac-12 title game matchup that you would most want to see? Well, I know USC beat Colorado, so our listeners in LA might not like this answer. But the two most consistent teams over the course of twelve games have proven to be the Washington Huskies. And Colorado. And I know USC beat both of them, but let's be honest, USC duffed the Stanford game, was murdered by Alabama. The the Buffs and the Huskies have been the most consistent product, and I really, really want to see them play each other. Coach? I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think usually your two best teams are Colorado 
in Washington. So let's, uh, let's, let's put him on the field and let him battle it out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch, though, of that game from last week, the Washington City-Colorado game. That was a great football game. And one of the things that really actually has impressed me with Washington State all season is how much improved their defense is. And we all know that, you know, Michael Leach can, uh, you know, dial up some big offense when he needed, needs it. Obviously, they last week, though, they were um, really missing uh, injured wide receiver River Craycraft. Um, but uh, this game, when the Apple Cup is in Pullman, it is, you know, it's a completely different animal. We all know that the uh, the fans from Seattle hate traveling out to Pullman. It is uh, such a home field advantage for the Cougs. And I, I think they've got a really good shot to pull this one off um, and, and set up that rematch against Colorado. I will be rooting for Colorado hard. I really want them to, you know, uh, represent the South in, in, in for this conference. Because like Josh said, they have been the most consistent team. Um, in, in in that division, and I, I think they should be rewarded. And their defense is, you know, uh, is not is not only the best in the conference, but you know, up there it's one of the best in the country. Um, so obviously, our hats off, our hats are off to Jim Levitt um, and the job he has done there in Boulder. So, um, well, finally, I, well, I did it for Iowa State, so I'm going to do it for Oregon State. Another game, not much at stake. But uh, Josh, don't say too much. You know that's one of our spread formations. Oh, well, I didn't read that far in the email because uh, it was Thanksgiving. I was busy stuffing my face. So we're going to – yeah, we, we will get to we'll – mental, mental note, I'll save my comment. Thank you for your comments for that one. Um, so let's head to the SEC where um, obviously the big matchup there, um, two big ones, LSU at Texas A&M, um, which is actually going on right now as we record this on Thanksgiving night, and LSU has been dominating. Um, so we will skip over that. But uh, the Iron Bowl is in Tuscaloosa uh, this year, and Egg Bowls in Oxford, and uh, Tennessee is playing at Vandy. Uh, Vandy could be, make a bowl game if Tennessee um, you know, crumbles and Vandy pulls off the upset at home, but let's focus on uh, the big one, the Iron Bowl. Uh, Coach, what's the best way for Auburn to attack this Crimson Tide D who has given up nothing to anyone all year? Well, I think their best chance right now is uh, is their big boy, Cameron Petway. I think having him back is going to be uh, going to be a huge factor for them. Uh, gives them their uh, three-headed monster again at, uh, at tailback. So I think for them, uh, with their lack of talent at quarterback, is going to just have to be pound the rock with Cam Petway and just kind of do what they've been doing all year. Uh, just get him going, get the big guy going, and, and, and hope for the best. You know, hope it hope it brings up those uh, safeties for Alabama and they can hit him in the play-action play game. But, you know, other than that, I think that uh, just where Auburn is right now as a, as a program, they're just – they're kind of reeling after that Georgia loss. They're just – I don't think that – I don't think their confidence is very high. Um, and I think the best thing they have going for them is Cameron Petway. Uh, Josh, how about you? What, what, what can Auburn do to attack the Crimson Tide? Now, Coach, uh, Coach stole my point perfectly. I know that Alabama gives up nothing in the run game, but how many opponents this year have had a bad first half of running or a bad first quarter of running, and they just throw that game plan out the window? Auburn needs to be committed to running that ball. That's their best offensive weapon. That's been their bread and butter. I know it's scary because Alabama's so good, but but they have to find a way to run Petway 20, 25, maybe even 30 times the game and just 
eat an ugly average, but make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you guys. They, they've got to run the ball and hope that they can, you know, uh, you know, break a big one every now and again. But it's so hard against that that front seven of Alabama. They are so so talented and so so disciplined. That's the one thing that really amazes me about this. Alabama team is how disciplined they are on defense. Um, obviously, you know, the Alabama passing attack is going to, um, has been you know, growing by leaps and bounds uh, as Jalen Hurts matures. Um, you know, he's a dark horse Heisman contender as a redshirt freshman quarterback for Alabama. You know, I don't think coming into the season, anyone would have guessed that, but it's been, uh, you know, another phenomenal season for Nick Saban and his guys. Um, but I'm also curious to you know, to see uh, how you guys feel about, um, you know, some of these other undercard games, whether it's the Egg Bowl or the Battle for the State of Tennessee, Coach. Um, are you, are you uh, looking forward to either of these games at all? I'm looking forward to the Vandy game. Uh, I think defensively uh, they're probably going to be one of the better defenses that Tennessee faces all year. Um, you know, we talk about Zach Cunningham all year long. We talked about this Vandy defense surprisingly all year long, a defense that I didn't think I'd be talking about week in and week out. But, I mean, they just continue to perform. And, you know, I'd like to kind of see what they have, um, you know, as they welcome the uh, as they welcome the volunteers into town and, and just kind of see what they're made of. If Vandy at all is going to take the next step as a program under Derek Mason, they have to win this game. You know, I, I think that this is a game that they, that they go out, they beat uh, Tennessee, and they go out and get that bold bit. And then it's, that's kind of what they need to do to kind of say, hey, we're behind Derek Mason. He can actually do this thing. A year that they weren't expected to really do a whole lot, um, except for uh, Zach Cunningham making a, making a slew of tackles. I think that was about the only thing that Vandy fans expected the Commodores to do, uh, to do right all season long. You know, and we looked at that offense and said, "Man, that's just going to hold their, That's just going to hold them back." You know, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be a killer for Derek Mason. You know, that's possibly going to kill his career. Offenses performed well with Ralph Webb, um, and and the defense has really just kind of carried this team. And they, they've been fun to watch, honestly. Uh, and uh, you know, they they obviously they beat Georgia, which I wasn't happy about, obviously, but. Um, you know they 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 took Tennessee or they took uh, Auburn to the wire, um, and, and they also dealt out a few other. Uh, they took Florida to the wire, and they they've they've won five games. So it's uh, it's going to be an interesting game, I should say. Uh, and I know a lot of Tennessee fans and uh, living in uh, Nashville, which is the heart of ball country. I know a lot of them are sweating right now. Um, a lot of them tell you they're going to try to tell you that they're not nervous, but. My God, I, I've never seen a fan base shaking their boots so much uh, right now. So uh, this is a this is a huge game pressure wise for Tennessee, uh, which leads me to believe that you know Vandy they're they're a little bit looser. Uh, they're going to be a little bit looser going into this game because uh, they didn't have much expectations at the beginning of the season. So I really like this thing. Uh, Zach Cunningham's going to lead the way. Ralph Webb is going to lead the way. I, I think Ludwig's going to have a perfect game plan. Uh, for the Vols, and I think you're going to see a Vandy victory. I mean, obviously, I think that would that would be great for, uh, you know, I think that would be really good for this conference, uh, you know, if Vandy can rise up and become, you know, a, a contender in the East and Derek Mason can continue to build this program because, um, you know, I mean, it's, 
it's always it's always nice to see one of these uh, academic schools, whether it's Vandy or Duke or Northwestern or you know Stanford, um, you know, really elevate their football teams as well. And I think that you know Vandy, obviously, they don't have this, the giant alumni base that some of these other teams do, but they don't have an athletic department. Matt, you re- I mean, I, I know you probably know that, um, but they don't have an athletic department. Everything is intramurals. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's pretty astonishing and I, I, you know, good for them. You know, I, I definitely applaud them for the hard work that they put in. And like you said, Zach Cunningham um, is in the running for national defensive player of the year. As far as I'm concerned, he's been one of the best the entire season. Well, can I take it a step further on Zach Cunningham? Yeah. Do it. I'm not saying he should win the Heisman, but I think he should be invited to New York because I don't think people realize what the Heisman Trophy is actually meant to be awarded for. The award is, straight from their site, the outstanding college football player whose performance best exhibits the pursuit of excellence with integrity. Winners epitomize great ability combined with diligence, perseverance, and hard work. So, like, you brought up Jalen Hurts, Matt. I don't think a freshman has as much perseverance or hard work as, you know, an upperclassman like, say, J.T. Barrett, who's had injuries, Uh lost his job for a little bit, Uh you know, Cardell Jones. J.T. Barrett would be a great Heisman winner. Lamar Jackson clearly has the outstanding football player aspect. He's putting up astronomical numbers. That's why I would have given it to to, uh, (laughs) – Christian McCaffrey last year. It's really hard when I, there's two sports people, both named McCaffrey. I use them interchangeably, but Christian McCaffrey, I would have given it to him last year. And I think Cunningham, the diligence, the perseverance, the hard work to be a Vandy recruit. Now, I'm not sure what he was way back when he was recruited, but coach, you know those rivals' numbers pretty well. I doubt Vandy landed a five star kid who would become this big a defensive stud. No, they didn't. I mean, especially at the linebacker position, that's a that's a really really tough position to uh, to uh, to evaluate and to predict. Um, you know, a lot of guys you think would be uh, five stars end up being two stars, and vice versa. I mean, you guys know who Thomas Davis is, right? He's he was NFL Comeback Player of the Year last year. Um, was actually recruited to Georgia as a safety, um, and through his senior season of football. He was being – his only offer was Grambling. Um, and he uh, – Brian Van Gorder, the defensive coordinator at the time, spotted Thomas Davis because um, Thomas Davis was the quarterback, linebacker, kicker, punter. Uh, I think he even held for himself on uh, on extra points. He was also the water boy. He was the water boy, head equipment guy, bus driver. I mean, I think he did everything. Uh, he played at this little two-way school down in South Georgia called Mary Persons High School. Uh, but anyway, he was playing quarterback, and he threw an interception. And Brian Van Gorder was there um, because there was a kid on the other team that he was recruiting. I, I can't remember the kid's name at this point. Uh, I don't think he ever ended up in Georgia. But uh, Thomas Davis threw an interception. Um, and it was it was kind of – it was deep in, in – uh, they, they, were, they were in the plus side uh, territory-wise – and so he threw a pick, and, and this guy was looking to, to – it was going to be a pick six. I mean, the guy just – it was one of those, you know, hitch routes or slant routes where, 
where the uh, corner jumps it and has such a running start that, you know, he just blows by everybody and picks sixes by 30 yards, you know. Well, he, he was he was doing that, and Thomas Davis ran him down and destroyed him before he got in the end zone. I mean, destroyed him. And that got and that got Van Gorder's attention. Um, he, he kept note of that, came back during basketball season, saw him uh, on the basketball court, and offered him a scholarship um, to come to Georgia. That was his only big-time offer. Um, um, going, back, going back to Cunningham, I just, I just pulled it up. Zach Cunningham, class of 2013, was a uh, by Rivals.com four-star linebacker out of Pinson, Alabama, at Pinson Valley High School. He was ranked the number 23 linebacker, uh, outside linebacker in the country, and the 13th best player in the state of Alabama. He did not get an offer from Alabama, but he did have offers from uh, Auburn, uh, Miami, Ole Miss, Oregon, Tennessee, Texas and UCLA amongst others. So you're not like an under-recruited guy, but still, um, still not the kind of guy you expect to come in and and be this good. No. And I I think, you know, going the route of Vanderbilt still kind of goes to what the Heisman says that themselves, I don't know how often they follow it, but it's not meant to be, they say the outstanding player, but then they have the second subset of the diligence, the hard work, the perseverance. And, um, you know, I'm not thrilled when freshmen win it. I'm not thrilled when, you know, a guy like Johnny Manziel, who has one brilliant season, gets the trophy. I think that, I mean, you, you need a little bit of the both. It's the, it's the Heisman. It's not meant to be easy. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I'm all for um, more defensive players being invited to New York winning the Heisman because, you know, at, at this point, it's, you know, it's typically quarterback with top 25 team is basically what you have to be in order to win the Heisman, and that's just... Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think if we're talking Heisman, uh, I think Jabril Peppers is your guy. I mean, I think he's the best player in college football right now. See, I, I would actually disagree with that. His stats in the Big Ten season have really been underwhelming at best. He's got two and a half tackles for loss and big 10 play and no interceptions. Um, you know, I, I would, I would actually push back against that a little bit. And I, I, I think that there are, there are better options even within that, within the, within the big 10 conference for, um, for player of the year. I think you've got to look at a guy, someone like Malik hooker on Ohio state um, or, you know, even on, um, you know, I think there are other guys. I mean, Peppers, don't get me wrong, is as talented a player as there is in college football. But I think, you know, he's I, – I think his season has sort of waned a little bit in the past few weeks. Hmm. Well, I guess you guys watch more Big Ten than I do. I didn't realize his stats were so low uh, just because you kind of see the impact he makes uh, on the field, you know, just in all three phases of the game. He kind of uh, – he's that guy you kind of have to pay attention to uh, – you know, if he's on the field, you got to find him. You, you, you know, where's five? Where's number five? Okay, there's number five. Let's let's go. You know, I think he's kind of honestly, uh, and and I think for a guy like Jabril Peppers, um, and I'll back this up a little bit. And and I know for Heisman purposes, stats do matter, and I'm not I'm not uh, in any way discrediting um, all of that. And you know, if his stats are, are that way, obviously he doesn't deserve the award, but. Uh, he's kind of having the Deion Sanders type approach where teams are going to start game planning uh, to go away from him, double team him, you know, get as many blockers as they can in his way and in his path um, 
to kind of disrupt what he does. And that's going to be kind of the game plan against Michigan until he graduates. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, I'm wondering how much of it is, is like game plan uh, versus, you know, him just not playing as well as, as we thought. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see on Saturday how much, how much of that's true. If he can truly impact the uh, Ohio State game for, uh, for the Wolverines. Yeah, I mean, if, he, if he's a dominant force in that game and then, you know, they go on to the Big Ten title game and he's a dominant force there, yeah, he'll make it to New York. But, you know, his stats in the year, in 11 games, he's, got, he's a linebacker. He's got, you know, 42, 59 total tackles, 42, 42 solo, 17 assisted, uh, 13 for a loss and three sacks on the entire year. That's not, you know, I mean, that, that's fine. But, I mean, you look at someone like Zach Cunningham, they've got, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. But, um, you know, he's got three rushing touchdowns, no receiving touchdowns. Um, he's got uh, one punt return touchdown as well. But, um, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy that does it all. But I, I, I still think that there are better options out there outside of Peppers. But I think our, our Heisman discussion is something that's going to have to wait until after conference title games because right now we got to move into our spread formations. So um, let's uh, – we will start our lines this week um, in the belt um, where the Arkansas State Red Wolves are five-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at UL Lafayette. Josh, who you like? Well, Lafayette's had a very up and down four and six season so far. Red Wolves six and zero. Oh, they just walloped the Troy team that I was so high on. They haven't lost a conference game since November twentieth of twenty fourteen. So, of course, I'll take the Red Wolves. Coach. Well, the Red Wolves. Uh, they showed me a little something last weekend against Georgia. I don't know how much of that was uh, Georgia's inexperience with their second unit and and. Uh, you know, just a kind of a mirage of stats or, you know, if, if they've got a good uh, quarterback running back tandem. So um, I'm going to go with the Red Wolves here uh, just because I don't have any reason to pick against them because, you know, they haven't lost a conference game in two years. So why start now? So give me the, give me the Red Wolves. Yeah. I'm surprised it's only a five and a half point favorite spread here. Um, I, I was expecting it to be higher. So I would definitely stick on that Arkansas state bandwagon with you guys. Next game goes back to the big 10. Uh, Illinois is at Northwestern who are 15 and a half point favorites at home. That's a lot of points for this, uh, for this Northwestern team. Uh, Josh, how do you feel about this one? Well, Northwestern will be the hungry team if they win. They get to a bowl game. That'll be their second straight bowl game. I know Fitz has gotten into bowl game strings during his tenure, but uh, for that program, making consecutive bowl games is still something special. And Illinois is a train wreck, 116th at scoring, 85th in points against, 117th passing, 100th in rushing. And they did the dumbest thing a week ago. They had let... Uh, the young freshman, Jeff George Jr., play some. He had some moments where he looked promising as a young kid. He fell apart against Wisconsin, but let's be honest, that's one hell of a defense. And then Lovey lost all confidence in him, inserted West Lunt, who's a senior. He's not the future. Why play West Lunt against Iowa? He was dreadful. He looked like he hadn't played in a month because he hadn't played in a month. Now against Northwestern, another team with a competent defense. I don't see how Illinois is going to score very many points. I'll take the Wildcats. Well, um, that was probably as much of an in-depth report on Illinois that um, anybody uh, has done, including their own 
uh, network guy. So uh, I'm going to take Northwestern here because uh, Josh really just told me to. Yeah, um, you know, uh, Josh told me to do the same thing, and I, I tend to listen to him. So, uh, Josh, we're going to go to that game now that you uh, you alluded to earlier. Oregon, three-point favorites on the road at Oregon State. Um, Oregon is having the year from hell. Um, and, Josh, can Oregon State actually pull off the upset? I don't know if they can, but the point that I was going to make earlier in the show was uh, – Oregon State can win their third conference game of the year, which is a pretty meager output, but it'll be their most conference wins since 2013. So they'll feel a little bit better about themselves. Uh, It's been a dreadful season for them so far, but um, that would certainly be, they would finish four and eight. They'd get that third conference win. That'd be nice. However, uh, Oregon you know, they they lost badly to Stanford and USC. And I know that was recent. They looked a lot better against Utah. Not that long ago, they absolutely obliterated Arizona State. I still trust Oregon a little bit more. And if Mark Helfrich truly is coaching for his job, he can't lose the Civil War. I'll take the Ducks. That's um, very convincing argument for the Ducks. Um, I don't know. I'm going to pick the upset here. I'm, I'm going to go with the, the Beavs because I think they are they're trending upward right now, even though uh, their their record doesn't show such. I think they're a team that's just learning how to win, learning how to compete, really. And I, I think this would be their uh, signature win, even though Oregon is not very good this year. Um, for Oregon State, winning Civil War um, and, and and doing so, and, and hopefully getting their their uh, their program back on track would be a huge, huge win uh, for Gary Anderson. And I, I think he gets it. All right. Um, I, uh, Oregon just has too much talent as far as I'm concerned. Oregon State is, isn't at that talent level. I think, you know, they've got more, they got more heart at this point. They got more to play for, but they just don't have the talent that Oregon has. So um, I'll take Oregon on the road. Um, let's head to South Alabama at Idaho um, in, in the belt. South Alabama, but frisky team all year, but Idaho is five and a half point favorites at home. Uh, Josh, you like the Vandals? So this is the funniest thing. Arkansas State is 6-0 and in conference, but 6-4 and overall. South Alabama is the complete opposite. They are 5-5, five and five, but 1-5 and five in conference, and their four non-conference games are absolutely ridiculous. Nichols State and Presbyterian, two FCS schools. And then Mississippi State, a SEC team, and San Diego State, who was ranked at that time, who is a Mountain West team that the three of us love. The Jags have had such a weird, weird season, but because they clearly cannot win conference games, obviously I'll go with the Vandals, who are 6-4. and four. They're looking for a bowl game. I, they should be able to make it at 6-6, six and six, but Sunbelt teams definitely want to be able to get to seven or eight wins. So I'll go with a Petrino. Give me the Vandals up there in Moscow, the Kibbe Dome, never an easy place to play. Let's go Idaho. Coach? I'm going to go with the Vandals as well. Uh, South Alabama, I just don't trust them uh, because they've been all over the place, um, just as Josh alluded to. So I'm going to go with the Vandals here in the uh, in the Vandal Dome. Yeah, it, it, it is a long, long way 
uh, to get to, to Moscow from South Alabama. So um, I think that uh, for the travel alone and the fact that South Alabama is Jekyll and Hyde, um, I'll, I'll take I'll take Idaho at home to get their seventh win on the season. Finally, guys, this is the last time of the year we're going to get to do this. Kansas is playing. Now, Josh, the last time Kansas played, we all know what happened. They beat Texas at home, as you had predicted, more than a month beforehand. Yeah, well, baby. Well, this time uh, they are taking on in-state rivals, Kansas State in Manhattan. Kansas State, 27-point favorites at home. Gosh, I mean, Kansas has already played for everything that they need to this season. Are they even going to show up? Kansas State doesn't have a track around their around, around, their, around <laughs> their stadium. I mean, around their field. I don't know what they're going to do. Well, the Little Apple is tough place to play. Bill Snyder, tough coach to go against. Uh, Kansas State has won it every year since 2008. Um, and but that 27 points is pretty big. So I was looking at Kansas State, and they just don't blow people out. Even their Baylor win was only a 21-point game. Uh, Kansas has been frisky. That 27 points would not have covered their last three games. I'm going to take the Jayhawks. I'm not going to say they're going to win, but I think they'll keep it competitive. Um, And Kansas State, though, they have a chance to get their seventh win of the season. Presumably they'll beat TCU in a week, who no longer cares about football this year. They have a chance to win eight games, so that's a really nice season for, for Snyder's gang. But I'll take the Jayhawks to cover in this game. And the reason we're being serious, Coach, we wanted to run this by you, in honor of Kansas getting off the schneid, we're thinking about next year's spreads being Rutgers, who's been absolutely horrendous in the Big Ten. I love that. I, I love that idea. Um, I, uh, I think Kansas has gotten themselves off the hook as far as us making fun of them with the, with the spreads. So um, kudos to David Beatty. Uh, and when you get on the phone with him later on, uh, you can tell him that. Uh, he brought a delicious pecan pie to our Thanksgiving today. Good, good. good. <laughs> I, I figured he would contribute something good. Oh, see, he, he always struck me as a pumpkin pie kind of man. You know, as Butch Jones would say, <laughs> he's a champion of life. So, um, as for my pick, I think they cover. Um, I don't know if they're quite ready to win this game um, in the Little Apple, but I think they do cover um, with, the, with an outside chance of winning. In, in honor of Beatty's pecan pie, I will pick the game <laughs> to the cover um, and make it a clean sweep there. All right. So, um, well, guys, uh, that's going to do it for our special Thanksgiving night edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. So, uh, miraculously, we are all actually in the central time zone, which does not happen very often. But um, we hope that everyone listening had a wonderful, wonderful holiday and uh, enjoys a great weekend of uh, college football games. We get a lot of Friday games because it's because it's Thanksgiving weekend. So enjoy the extra football. Enjoy Black Friday. Don't get crushed out there waiting in line at Walmart. And um, we will see you. Uh, hey, real quick, because the game has gone final. LSU dropped half a hundred on AM. They are eight and four, four and four, but another second half collapse. Where are we at with AM and their coaching staff and job security and all that? 
Uh, I'll start with Coach on this one. I think uh, with the way they started, I think Kevin Sumlin bought himself another year. I think with the way they started, had they had they maintained that, he would have got a multi-year extension. Um, but I think that I think his seat's going to be hot next year. But I do think he will return. I think he's returning. I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think they can quite fire him after this year. But he will. He will start this season on the hot seat again. Um, and. And on the flip side, actually, if the Herman rumors turn out to just be rumors, winning this game this impressively, how much does that help Coach O? It, it helps him a lot, especially if Texas comes in and outbids him, outbids LSU, because Texas is not out of this game. They're not out of it yet, because I think right now, in, until you sign, uh, until the ink dries, until everything's finalized, and and uh, agreeing in principle is just that you're agreeing to a verbal deal, uh, which means Texas could come in and say, okay, we'll offer you $8 million a year uh, to come be our coach. And he could, he could very well say, okay, I'm coming. And then in that case, if I'm LSU, I just say, I just pick up the phone and say, all right, Ed, you're our guy. Let's get after it now. Yeah, you know, I, I, I really I, I want Ed Orgeron to be the coach of LSU. I do too. I think he'd be a good fit there. Um, yeah, me too. He is a raging Cajun for sure. He, if, if, if not, he'd be a good mascot at. Uh, what if What if uh, Mark Hudspeth got hired at uh, Purdue and uh, and Ed Orgeron went over to uh, Louisiana Lafayette? Would that be a more fitting head coach mascot? <laughs> uh, he would have to do double duty. He'd have to perform at halftime and coach the team. No, no, he could ask Brett, he could ask Brett Bielema. He knows all about being a hog and a head coach at the same time. <laughs> I see what you did there. All right. Well played, sir. All right. Well, on that note, um, it is time for us to sign off uh, for this episode of Illegal Motion. So, on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton, in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook, from Big Ten and Counting, currently in Iowa City, Iowa, this is the professor. Saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. I love pecan pie. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.